Hello and welcome to a new episode of Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by my Irish-American friend Dennis Lukens, who's currently the technical director of FC Dynamic in Ukraine. Dennis, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Connor, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Dennis, there's quite a lot to unpack in that opening statement. Um, where in the world are you at this present time? I'm actually in the country of Ukraine. Uh, my uh, wife and son are Ukrainian citizens and I have, own a home here. Um, I've been here for about 11 years, but I go back and forth between um, Ukraine and America. I've got some business interests, soccer interests in, in, in uh, America. And as you know, I've been also going back and forth between Ireland in the last two years, working on a project over there. And I suppose, I mean, what is your earliest memories of football? What does the game of football mean, <laughs> Dennis? Well, it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, I think back on it and I was lucky because um, at lunchtime, the gym teacher rolled out a soccer ball and he rolled that soccer ball out every day. And so this is a long time ago. I, I'm going to date myself, you know, but it was in the 19, in late, it, was the ni- it was the 1950s. Let me think about that one. It was in the, in the 50s, late 50s and the early 60s in New York. And thank God he rolled out that soccer ball at lunchtime. And, and it's like everything else in life, you know, so I, I was like the best guy, you know, I mean, we just played as a gang, you know, there's, there's no tactics, you know, you just chase that ball, but I was really good, you know, and it spurred me to continue on and uh, play, you know, in the, at the junior high school level. I want to go out for the junior high school team. Geez, I'm going to brag now, you know, but I went out for the junior high school team. And this is again, a very long time ago, you know, seventh and eighth, eighth and ninth grade, if you can imagine, but we had a soccer team. We played with Tom Finney shoes. I had a Tom Finney shoes with a steel toe, and we took all. I took all my corner kicks with I towed them in, and penalty kicks. Everything I towed with with a steel toe. I had, but I was you know I was the top scorer in the junior high school. You know, so it's you know like everything. You know, if you're good at something, you know you you follow it and you pursue it. Uh, I was lucky that I had these opportunities for sure. Unfortunately, I broke my leg three times. I, as I said earlier skiing i was also a ski racer so i broke my leg three times and i didn't play for some years uh but i eventually uh had two operations on my ankle uh, i said this really i walked uh, with crutches for about for maybe three years i worked with a cane for months uh but i eventually got back and i played high school soccer on long island which is a very high standard if anybody from america would tell you that long island new york soccer is at, at you know at the highest level in the country and again, I was, you know, I was a successful, good player, scored a lot of goals. So then I got a chance to go to college and I went to college and played college level. It was just one of those things, you know, I just followed it. People don't realize that soccer is very big in America. Even now it's huge. But even when in my time, the other sports were bigger and more well-known, but we had a lot, a lot of different ethnic groups. You know, again, I'm Irish. You know, my mother came over on the boat from Ireland, but there were Italians, there's Irish, there's, there's the Scots. You know, there's all different, there was all different types of nationalities living in New York at those times. And they carried forward their traditions from the old countries. And one of those traditions was soccer, actually. And people don't know that. And how does someone, a kid like you growing up in New York in the 50s, 60s, you know, being prominent, being known for being a toe bagger with the steel cap boots, <laughs> how does he go from being that kid to being one of the very few Americans that has a UA for pro license? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Jeez, I don't know. Um, this is going to, so when, I mean, these people ask me this sometimes, but even when I was a kid, 
even when I was like, a, like maybe 14 or so, I would, I would work with the kids on the street. I would teach them. The younger kids on the street, we'd play ball together. I teach. I was also a very successful baseball player and basketball player. In America, you, you didn't typically play one sport. You played multiple sports. So I played multiple sports. And I would coach the kids on my street. I mean, like all the time, you know, and, and it's just something that I was drawn to. I don't know why. So I was really lucky that my father arranged an interview for me to go to a place called Springfield College. That name wouldn't jump out at you, but it's basically the Harvard of physical education. It's the number At that time, it was the number one physical education school in the United States. And the, the, the mission is to develop physical education teachers and coaches. So my whole, my whole educational background as a college student was to be a coach. That's what they developed us for. I got lucky. I got lucky. My grades weren't good enough to get into it. Uh, Springfield College. I was a top player at the, at the high school level scoring goals. But I, I make you laugh a little bit. We have to laugh a little bit on these podcasts. My father, as I told you, came up with nothing. But he you know, worked his way up. And uh, prior to becoming one of the most powerful men in New York City, he worked. He was born and raised in Cincinnati, and he was. He went through World War II and, and rose to colonel, and then he went back to his hometown and worked in the mayor's office. He was the deputy to the mayor, and there was a guy who uh, ran the local YMCA there, and he would constantly come and ask for money to support the projects. And my father always found a way to get that money for them. He'd go to the mayor and say, "Look, you know, sports kids." we can find the money. And so my father always made sure that that YMCA had money for their programs to develop sports for the kids. My, my father had, had done that. So when I went to for my interview at Springfield College to get into the school, and I shouldn't have gotten into the school, the person who was the dean of students there was the guy from the YMCA. He was the director from Cincinnati. It was the director from, the, from Cincinnati who my father funneled the money for to develop sports. So my interview was, was not held at, at, at the university. I went to the guy's house and sat in his living room while he interviewed me. And you can imagine how that interview went and what the result was in the end, you know, because my father had helped him all those years ago. So my father pulled the strings and I got, in, I got into the best sports university in the United States. <laughs> so that's sort of how I got going on coaching, you know, sort of going on coaching. Um, I could continue on and tell you how I got in, got, I mean, I'll try to do it fast. I can tell you step-by-step step how I got to the UA for pro. I can be quick. Um, so, you know, when I was playing, we, we played in the, after, so the university level, our, our team was three-time New England champion. Then I started to play in the ethnic leagues. They would pay us to play. <clears throat> and then the North American soccer league came, which is like MLS now, and Pelé, Beckenbauer, all the big boys. But, it, but when it first came around, it didn't have all those guys. <clears throat> so we were told, hey, <clears throat> there's a league coming around the NASL. And I tried out for it, actually. And I went to a training camp with the Boston Minutemen. And I was there for about a month. And I got invited to go down to Florida to their final training camp. And like the, the fool that I was back in those days, I didn't go. I decided to be a teacher. And I went in a different direction. I figured I could play in the ethnic leagues and make my $100 on Sunday and also teach. I didn't go to the, to the final training camp. So then I got a job teaching at a private school. And I started coaching. I coached the, the, the ninth grade soccer team. Now, so when I'm coaching the ninth grade soccer team, do you think I could have ever believed that I would coach in Europe? I mean, I didn't, I didn't think of it. I didn't, didn't dream of it. You know, in America, you, don't, you wouldn't have had those dreams, you know, to be the next Sir Alex Ferguson. I mean, that wasn't a dream. 
you know, I just was doing it and I liked it. I decided I wanted to be a college coach. So I got a job as an assistant coach at the University of Bridgeport. Then I then during that time period, I went and got my C license, my B license, and I got my A in C like three months, three months, three months. Uh, you couldn't do that now. But I was young, I was fit, I was a good player still. We had to participate. And I, and I was I had studied physical education, I had the educational background. I got my license like that. I mean, it wasn't that easy, but I got them. And then I got a job at Southern Connecticut State University with a, with a genius, smartest football coach I've met in my whole life. He was doing things that Klopp and Pepe do now. We were, full, we, were, we were pressing all over the field. We were playing out of the back with the keepers. We're doing things they do now that everyone, oh, Pepe is playing with the keeper. You know, they're, they're pressing. But we're doing this, we were doing this 30 years ago. Uh, and then... I, I don't know. I became a college coach myself, a head coach, and I went to a school that was very poor and I dragged them up and we became very successful, uh, set like 18 school records while I was there. And then there was a pro league coming around and there was a, there was a, a franchise for sale. And me being the fool that I am, I bought a franchise and I made myself head coach, president, and technical director. So I coached in a league called the USISL, but I also played. I played in the USISL. It was considered third tier, but it wasn't. It was really second tier because there was no MLS. There was the A-League and then USISL. So it was like it was like first division. So I played and coached, and we had some great players who, who played for the U.S. national team and went on to bigger. Six of our players went on to the MLS when the MLS came around. And then that ended. Uh, I'd lost about, I lost about 250000 U.S. dollars on it. Uh, and I decided to get out of the game. I quit. I, I decided I'd never coach again. I'd lost, you know, I'd lost a, a boatload of money, and it was a very negative experience. But I was going to the gym one day about a year later. I was working as a financial consultant, the only job I ever had outside of soccer. And I, went, I was going into a gym, and a guy came up to me and said, hey, you're Dennis Lukens, aren't you? I said, well, yeah. He said, you're that soccer coach. I said, yeah. He said, I want you to coach my team. I said, well, I'm not in the business anymore. He goes, there's a girls under 11 team. I said, well, I'm not so sure I want to coach a girls under 11 team. He said, but is the best team, is, 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 the, is the best team in Massachusetts? I said, well, he said, I'll do all the work. I'll recruit all the players. I'll organize everything. And I want you to be the coach. I said, well, $100 an hour paid at the end of every session and I'll do it. He said, okay. And we won the national championship. We won the national title. We, we beat everybody. And it was, so, so it gave me the a girls under 11 team gave me the passion again to come back to it. And they were such great girls. They went on to college careers. It was wonderful. Um, so then I went on. Uh, I went online and I started surfing around and I saw that a team called the Bay Area Seals had just been bought. So I emailed the guys, told them I knew everything there was to know about professional soccer. They hired me as president. Uh, of the of the company, I flew out to California with a cell. They gave me a cell phone, a hotel room, and a rented car. We had they had no players, no stadium, no offices. They said you got to create it. So in three months, I created it. Offices, staff, found a stadium, and built a team. And I and, and I knew when they made me president, I'd just make myself head coach. So I made myself head coach, and we made the playoffs. And um, so I had a career in America before I came. You know, and then I coached in the MISL as well. So I coached two, two teams at really the second tier in America, like first division. And then I coached the major indoor soccer league as well. 
And then I got a chance to coach in the Olympics with the St. Lucian Olympic team in the Olympic qualification tournament for CONCACAF. I went down to St. Louis. I became their head coach for two years. We lived down there. And then that job ended. We didn't make the Olympics. We'd sold the house in America, in California. And I went to Ukraine to rest for two weeks with my wife to visit her mother. So we went there for two weeks, and that was 11 years ago. We stayed for we stayed for we stayed for eleven years. My God, that's some story altogether, Dennis. I don't know which part to pick up, but possibly the Ukrainian. But I was always intrigued as to how an Irish American would end up in Ukraine. But one story, well, you, one story you recounted to me before, Dennis, I thought was absolutely fantastic. Um, your initial first job in Ukraine. In okay, I'll tell that back. story. I was about to come. I was about to come to that. So you know, so so here I am in Ukraine, and I've had you know, and and so look, I'm a passionate person, and I'm very passionate. You know, I wrote, I'm I'm so passionate about soccer, and, and then I was extremely passionate. You know, and I'd worked my whole life, like every like every like I'm no different anybody, but I'd worked my whole life, you know, to get to where I I, I went from a coach in a ninth grade team. And in uh, how many years? I don't know. In 20 years, I went from coaching a ninth grade team to having the, the highest licenses you can have in America. I had the NSCA National Diploma as well. I got that. To coaching, you know, at, at second tier and involved with MLS teams, to coaching the major indoor soccer, to coaching in the, in, in the Olympic qualification games, to stand in the stadium during an Olympic qualification, a full stadium, you know, of people. And as the Olympics, you know, it was the qualification. I mean, you know, the, that, that, that thrill is hard to replicate. And so when I went to Ukraine and we were there visiting her mother, well, my, my, my wife's Ukrainian, okay? So, so what am I? Am I a computer guy? No. Am I a financial consultant? No. Do I, am I, you know, what am I going to do? Well, after three days, I got bored. And what did I do? I started calling clubs. I got a translator to help me. My wife was visiting her family. You know, she didn't, she was, you know, they were doing stuff here and there. And I would be on the phone calling the clubs. I called 33 clubs and everybody uh, said no. And most of them laughed. Two of them said, two of the clubs said, and I'm, this is the truth. Two of the clubs said, well, you're an American and there's a basketball team in town and you'd probably do very well with the basketball. They probably need an American basketball coach. You could coach the basketball team. I'm, I'm not trying to. I tell them I got an A license from America. I want to coach the soccer. And they tell me, well, go coach the basketball team in town. So that's how it went. But, but one guy said yes. One, one out of 33. A guy named Ale a guy named Alexander Levovich. And he, uh, he's, he invited me down to a place called Crimea. And I went to Crimea. We drove down there. Uh, my wife, Natasha, acted as a translator. And we went to, I, I'll tell the story, but look, Alexander Lavovich in my mind is a prince among men. So we go, we drive up to the front door and there's two big, big guys standing there in front of the door. It's like, you know, in suits, it's like, what are these guys? And my wife says, well, this is Dennis Lucas. He's here to see Alexander Lavovich. They speak into their cell phone, the door opens. We go through a hallway, we go to another door. There's two big guys in suits standing in front of that door. And it's like, okay. Dennis Lukens to see uh, Mr. Lavovich. They opened the door, we walk into an office. And in that office was a huge office, beautiful office. And there was a photo, a big photo behind a desk. And that photo was a photo of some guy, young guy with no shirt on, with his arm around, with his arm around the first president of Ukraine and his arm around the current president, whose name is, uh, it was Yanukovych. 
So he's like a 20, you know, 28 year old guy with his arm around two presidents. He's got no shirt on. And while we're gawking at that photo, the door opens and out comes the guy, Alexander Lovovich. And we sat there and there was another guy there too. And we sat and, and talked. And he said to me, Dennis, you've come from America and you called me on the phone, you're an American and you've driven four hours to come see me. You've come to my club all the way from America. You walk around my club, you find a spot for yourself. You find a job that you think that we need help with. And it's gonna be your job. He said, you can't be the head coach. I'm not firing my head coach. He said, I'm not firing the assistants. They're all good guys. So you can't be part of that group, but I want you to be part of my club. Find a job for yourself and tell me on Monday what job you want. I swear to God. And uh, I walked around the club. Everybody treated me like a prince. And, you know, Ukrainian people, I think the one thing about Ukraine is the people are fantastic. Like everywhere else, there's a few you know, small percent that are trouble, but but they're really good people. And I'll always remember Alexander Lovovich giving me that opportunity. And I walked around that club and everybody treated me like a prince with respect and kindness. And I named myself like a, a, I was a scout to bring European and American players and trying to scout them from all over and bring them to the club. And then they started talking about making me the technical director. Uh, it, it was amazing, really. And the uh, last bit about the story. So the first time I'm, I'm, I'm there now, you know, and I'm like the chief, this chief scout, they call me a selection trainer. It's the first game that I'm there. And they're playing Shakhtar Donetsk. So we're playing FC Sevastopol is playing Shakhtar Donetsk in our stadium. And I'm sitting on the bench. And it hit me. Shakhtar Donetsk played Barcelona four days before that in the Champions League. So here I am, an American, 6,000 miles away from home, and I'm sitting on the bench with teams, a team that just played against Barcelona. I said, this is a really good place to be. And so that's that's how I got started in, in Ukraine. I was really lucky. I mean, so every time I say I'm lucky, my wife says, no, you weren't. This is like everything else in life, like we're discussing about determination and drive. You know, I mean, you, you know, you, you just have to believe in yourself. You have to never give up. You have to, <laughs> I have to remind myself that when I go back to Ireland, don't give up, you know, keep going forward, you know, with the League of Ireland. But, but uh, you know, I made that opportunity for myself. Yes, Alexander Lovovich was a gentleman and a prince, and he gave me the opportunity. But, you know, I started, I called, 30, they hung up on me 33 times. Uh, 32 times and the 33rd person said yes and we drove four hours we went down there we met the guy and yeah and I lived and we would drive four hours down and four hours back twice a week we rented an apartment down there you know and, and lived there while I did this job so and then Alexander Lebovich said to me Dennis if you want to be successful you got to learn how to speak Russian part of the country speaks Ukrainian part, part speaks Russian in this particular area in the south where I am they speak they speak um they speak Russian primarily. So he said, learn how to speak Russian. So I learned how to speak Russian and, and I left there eventually. And I went on and I got a, you know, I took a break. And then another gentleman, uh, um, Alexei Krucher, who was the president of Kherson Kristal, I applied for a job with him. He hired me as the technical director. And then when I, I left and went to America to run my training camps, and while I was gone, they lost nine games in a row. So I came back. I went to a meeting the first day and he fired the head coach in front of everybody. And the first guy that the, the head coach looked at was me. You know, I had just arrived. So, so the coach, uh, Alice uh, A. gave, did the training sessions, you know, for the first uh, week or so. Uh, he's a smart man, a top man, but he wasn't a trained coach at that moment. 
And I asked him if I could do a training session. So he let me do a training session. And I did a second training session, a third training session. And then on Saturday, we won. They won for the first time in nine games. And then the next week, he said, do all the training sessions. So I did all the training sessions and we won again. And the players went to Alexei, Alexei Khrushchev and said, you got to make this American head coach. And he made me the head coach. And so again, I, I can only thank Alexei Khrushchev for making me head coach. I became the first and only American to coach professional soccer in the country of Ukraine and the entire former Soviet Union. To this day, I believe it's still true. Uh, I was actually inducted into, um, I was honored by the Ukrainian Sports Hall of Fame two weeks ago when I was in America. I went to the Hall of Fame and they honored me as, as what I've just described, the first and only American to coach professional soccer in the country of Ukraine. I brought two of my jerseys from my clubs and they've, they're hanging in the Ukrainian Sports Hall of Fame now. So I, I've been very lucky. I've been very fortunate. I made my luck, you know, but I've been very, very fortunate. A lot of people helped me along the way. You know, my wife in those days was with me every step of the way, behind me every step of the way, translating for me. Alexei Krucher, you know, uh, Alexander Lubovich. But I did teach myself to speak Russian. Last little bit I'll say about this, you know, people listening, I keep talking about determination. So when I became head coach of Kirsten Kristal, I would take a bus, my BMW had blown the engine. So I was, I was taking a bus two hours down and a bus two hours back every single day. And for two hours on the way down, I would listen to uh, Russian words and two hours back. I, so I, I was listening to Russian. I started by just phrases like, which means play quickly. Uh, with one touch. Uh, come here. Uh, you, you know, learning all the different words like which is striker. Zashitnik, which is a defender. So I taught myself to speak Russian using, using a, a recorder on the bus going there and back. And then eventually, within about a month, I was able to do the training session without a translator. I could speak Russian to the guys and do training sessions. You know, so, so it's like everything else in life. You know, if you want to do something bad enough, you'll, you'll give everything you have to, 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 to get to that place, to get to that goal. So I went from, I went from coaching you know, ninth grade kids in, you know, my first job to coaching professional soccer in Europe. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind numbing. And then I went on and took the, all the UEFA licenses. And I took the UEFA pro license with Andrei Shevchenko and Anatoly Tobishov. You know, I mean, to, to, to be sitting together with Sheva. I mean, Sheva came up to me and shook my hand and said, you're an American, welcome to Ukraine. He said anything, he said anything I can do to help you, let me, he spoke in English. Anything I can do to help you, please let me know. My wife's American. My sons, my sons were, were born in America. You're here. You're our guest in this country. I understand your wife's America, Ukrainian. If I can help you, you tell me, and I will help. This is the biggest. This is the biggest. The biggest man in all of Ukrainian football. Tell me, he's going to help. He'll help me. It's crazy. And I've maintained contact with Andre and Anatoly Tumashuk is not a household name in, in Ireland, but 144 caps uh, for, for, for Ukraine. He played for Bayern Munich and won the Champions League. And I told him, I'm working with him right now on, pro on some projects, you know. So anyway, I've been really fortunate to meet a lot of good people along the way. A lot of people helped me along the way. So many people, so many people behind me. It's the same thing in Ireland, Christ. You know, going on, I, you know, I was crying a bit early about, you know, it didn't work out for us. But so many people helped us. So many people were behind us. And that's, that's what life's about, you know. I think it's just absolutely testament to yourself as a person, dancing the hard work. I mean, and that desire, and we spoke off camera before about your family even moving to the States before all of this. Yeah. But it's just, you know, if you want anything in life, you know, opportunities where preparation meets luck. 
and you speak about that having that relentless determination and it's something that you still have to the state because you know since i mean you're back in ukraine now but in between the last four or five years you've been working with irish seas could you tell everybody listening a bit more about that project well i mean the, the objective of irish cfc you know, I just named it Irish CFC, just pulled, pulled it out of the air. You know, people sort of laughed at the name, but I just, I had to come up with a name. I was formed the corporation. I just, I, I didn't want it to be any specific name because I didn't know what club I was trying to, I was trying to buy a club at that time. Uh, and I was looking at different, so I, I couldn't name it really any specific club. So I just came with a generic name. Um, the objective was initially to purchase a club. Uh, I negotiated with one club uh, for a long period of time, did Zoom calls, provide financial statements. Uh, references, everything. And in the end, uh, the deal was slow to get done. And then unfortunately, uh, COVID-19 came. I mean, I was flying back and forth before COVID-19. And I can remember having a really difficult, hard cough. And I was having difficult speaking. And, and the woman who, uh, in Ireland, who I became friends with, I had a beer with her. She said, you know, there's some strange things going around. You're sure you're okay? Uh, I don't know that I had COVID-19 that I think I might have. I don't know. I, I, ha I had it subsequently, uh, just about three months ago. But uh, the thing fell apart due to COVID-19 because that club, uh, like all clubs, uh, lost a substantial amount of money in the in the next nine months. So, you know, we tried to complete the deal nine months on, but they their income was cut in half. They had lost, you know, a significant amount of money that they'd hoped that I would help fund. And then on top of that, we saw no end in sight. You know, I mean, the, the income levels were not going to go back up to where they were anytime soon. So I, I backed away from the deal. They were good guys. They worked hard to try to make the deal with me. But in the end, COVID-19 killed it, you know. And, and, and I think back on it now, if I had bought the club then, I, I would have been in a whole heap of trouble because what I've described to you would have been on my, on my back, income cut in half, losing substantial sums of money. Uh, and plus then just operating under COVID-19 conditions, trying to trying to operate. I mean, when you're trying to run a stadium and have people come to games, it's very difficult to, to run a game. All the protocols you've got to go through. So I think maybe it's a blessing in disguise, maybe. And even with Dublin County FC that we didn't get the license for, I believe that we could have gone forward and been successful, but it would have been a, a, tough, nut, a tough nut to crack, I think. You know, if we had pl started playing in February, where, where, would, where, where would we be now? I mean, it, I think we'd be we'd be struggling a bit possibly. I don't know. We'll, we'll never know, but COVID-19 really kicked all our asses for sure. It's a terrific story, your career. It's a testament to the person you were, that you're still here, you know, <laughs> still American <laughs> and new challenges back in Ukraine. But um, I mean, hopefully someday, Dennis, you'll pen it all in a book. But very quickly before you go, <laughs> I want to be appreciative of your time. For anyone who's embarking on their own footballing journey, be it wishing to coach abroad, being wishing to learn a foreign language, coach in a different country, or whatever the dream is, what advice would you have for them? Well, I would say never give up because I've had lots of setbacks in my life, in, in my professional life and in my personal life too. You know, we all have them, you know, and, and you, you got to get back up again and you got to try again, no matter where it is. And, and if you keep doing that, something good will come eventually. I mean, it may be in, different than what you thought it was going to be, but something good will come. I, I hope to be back in Ireland, you know, but now I've got this opportunity in Ukraine. Uh, I, I've got some really good people that are working with me now who I never imagined would want to work with me. You know, um, Anatoly Tomashuk, one of the most famous football players in in, in Ukraine. He may be, he's the second most famous player. He he he, he SMS'd me a week ago. Now he, he wants he wanted to work with. 
I mean, it's like, how did this happen? You know? Uh, so I would say there's never give up. I think getting qualified is important. You know, the licenses are difficult and a lot of people, it's not people who don't chase them, poo-poo it. But, but having all the licenses is important, I believe, because there's different reasons why people are successful coaches. And we don't even know the reasons some, sometimes. I mean, some, you can't really put your finger on that. That guy's going to be a successful coach or not a successful. You don't know. Um, but I think having the qualifications and I think being educated, you know, up, upside down, sideways and backwards and being in contact with all the different people you meet in the courses, I think is invaluable. I really do. I think if a young person is coming through, try to find the smartest coach you, you know of and work with that guy. I got luck, completely lucky. A guy named Bob DeCrane, I mentioned earlier, his name's Bob DeCrane, and I got a job at Southern Connecticut State University as his assistant. And he's a genius. And, and people in America know who he is. They won multiple national titles. He was literally doing things that people talk about today as innovative 30 years ago. And I worked for him. So he taught me more than, than any course could ever teach me. So, so having a mentor, and Bob DeCranian was my mentor, having a mentor is really important. You know, at 25, you don't know it all. Maybe at 35, you don't know it all. And working with someone really smart and really good is really helpful, I think. So working with someone really good, getting a mentor, taking all the courses, take as many licenses as you can, because you're going to meet all kinds of different people, not only from a learning standpoint, but from a connection standpoint, too. You know, a lot of guys you're going to be connected with now going forward into the future. Those are critical. And lastly, never give up because you're going to get knocked down, you know, and you're going to think you're reaching for a dream and you're not going to get it. I got within four hours of reaching my dream of having a team in the League of Ireland and it didn't happen, you know, but you can't you can't give up. You got to find another way to make it happen. So that would be my advice to any young person. That would be my advice. Um, I, I think that, you know, Sports just offers so much to everybody. We talked about drugs and the diversions and, 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 and the internet and, you know, YouTube. And, well, if you're out there playing sports, you're not going to be involved with drugs and alcohol. If you're out there playing sports, you're not on YouTube. You're not using the phone to pass the time. If you're training, preparing, taking care of your body, eating properly, respect for authority, showing up on time, being part of a team, it, this is all life skills. So I really think that sport, no matter what it is, whether it's basketball, soccer, whatever it is, I think is a critical aspect of any young person's life, boys and girls growing up. Yeah, I'd have to second that. I mean, for me, as I said off camera to yourself, Dennis, football really is a microcosm of life. And I think everybody who's tuned in today listening to yourself is going to keep on tabs with your own journey. Um, <laughs> where's best to keep up to date with you in the socials, Dennis? Uh, well, I'm... I, I, you know, since I'm not, since I don't have a club in Ireland, I, I basically I don't do much on, on on social media. If we do get a club, I then will launch big and, and all that. But right now, I mean, I just have my own Facebook page. It's just like everybody got you know 700 friends or something. You know, uh, just people that I know and so forth. But I'm on this. It describes you know who I am, what I've done, and it's got pictures of things I've done in my life. Uh, it's just Dennis Lukens. That's all. Um, but we'll launch some more stuff if we do get in the League of Ireland. And I, you know, we'll say, I don't, I, I try, I try not to pray for money or success only for good health, but I'll have to say, I may have to pray a little bit for, to get into the League of Ireland. And I will. <laughs> we'll definitely have to get you on for a second episode if that's the event. But Dennis. My, my mother and grandparents are watching from above, you know, and they're, they're watching my every move. And, and, and they, they, they certainly would be very proud of me if we did 
uh, if we were able to get into the League of Ireland, of course. <clears throat> and I will say, Tom, let me end by saying, <clears throat> I'm very proud to be Irish. I am very, very proud to be Irish and to be an Irish citizen. And I love Ireland. And, and I'm not just saying that, it's true. Every time I've been there, it's just, I just love being there. I'm going, I'm going again for two weeks with my son. Uh, on August 18th, we fly out. We're going there for a vacation. We're going there because that's where we want to be for our vacation. And I'm excited to be there and I can't wait to get to Ireland again. Again, I'm very, very proud. Just like my mother, my mother, my mother made sure that I was proud to be Irish, all of us. And I still am very much. Yeah, we look forward to welcoming you back home to Ireland, Dennis. <laughs> sometime soon, you'll have a League of Ireland club to boot. But for the meantime, thanks, Malin, for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Really do appreciate that and speak soon. Okay, thank you, Connor, very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot.